Christopher Columbus. To many, he is still the man who discovered America. Yet, there have been others before him, and he knew it. There were tales and even maps pointing the way. But who were the bold men who had preceded Columbus? Best known among them, the Viking, Leif Erikson, 500 years before Columbus. A Welsh prince named Maddock, supposed to have built 45 castles along the Ohio River, 300 years before Columbus. Or King Abu Bakari from West African Mali, who is said to have used his immeasurable riches to finance a gigantic fleet 200 years before Columbus. Hello and welcome back to episode 59 of Waking Up with Mel. Today we are going to call this episode How India Became America. Now stick with me. If you didn't hear my last week's podcast, I have been all into researching old maps and I came to this conclusion that in the 1400s the maps changed and then you have to ask yourself well why is that why did we know the way the world was the way it all worked for before Christ to 1400 years after Christ and then all of a sudden everything changes and it really hasn't been that long if you think about it just you know, a few hundred years. So how did everything and everyone get brainwashed in just a few hundred years? So let's take this all the way back to the Bible. Just because I know a lot of people don't read the Bible, we're just going to go over a little Bible story. There was this dude, his name was Noah. Noah was basically the only one left that wasn't doing whatever he felt like doing before the flood. God said, build this ark, take your kids and all the animals in it, and let's let's preserve some of y'all. So they're in the ark, they're in the ark for a full year, and it rains for 40 days of that full year, and they're just, can you imagine, knowing that God's going to preserve you, but but having to go through that ride a whole year, I bet there's many times they're like, I don't know if we heard God, and I think that's happening right now in America in 2024. And this week when I found out how America got its name, how it got changed from India to America, how India was moved to where it's at now, it's just so interesting to me. And I think if I'm the age I am and I'm learning all this stuff, other people are probably interested in this as well. So when Noah's kids got off the ark, they all split off into three sections of the world, not just the Middle East, okay, the world. They knew the face of the earth. They weren't they weren't on a boat for heaven's sakes riding across it for a full year. They know God's face of the earth. So they get off and they split the sections up into three sections. And I want you to think of these sections as your face, right? So the forehead section is going to be Shem, Noah's son. The right side is going to be Ham, which is going to be Africa. So on top is Asia. On the right side, like let's say your cheek temple area, that's going to be Ham and that's going to be Africa. And then the left side is going to be Europe, which is Japheth. Okay. And in the middle and across, like a cross, is water. And then around the whole circumference of the earth is water. So you're able to navigate through boat across the entire face of the earth. And then they had these things called airships as well. And you were able to fly eventually across the whole face of the earth until about the 14 or 1500s when they decided, you know what, we need passports and we need to take away airships and we need to control where people go. And then we will also change the maps and no one will know where the hell they're at. Isn't that a good time? So when you look at old maps, you will see this Asia section, which is Shem, which has old Tartaria right in the middle. To the right was India. It was all called like Indies, right? And even where India is now was considered the Indies. So was America. Hence why they called Indians Indians. They didn't just call them Indians because they were lost and didn't know. They were like, these are the Indians from the Indies. And we're taking over their land. And that part is very historical. And you can really look that part up. But what we were taught in school is that this was an unknown continent. No one knew it was here. Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 and discovered it. And, you know, made us think no one lived here. And they just 
shut up shop. Well, as I was starting to do some research on good old Christopher C, I learned not only did he very well know where he was going, so did everyone before and after him. And not only did they know where they were going, they documented it. And they have little books and drawings and all these things that you can find in the Library of Congress and in, you know, local museums, uh, digital archives, things like that. They documented these Native Americans being eaten by dogs, basically. Like, these people just came in hard. First, they came in in the 1400s, kind of cool, kind of nice. You know, a few people had visited before that, like the leaf guy that we're going to talk about. But up until Christopher was basically commissioned by Spain to put their Spanish flag over here, everything was pretty okay in America and the Tartaria region. Another thing I find really interesting is that they've tried to take this whole nation off the map, not just the fact that America was India, but that all of uh, Canada and Russia area was Tartaria. Like why? It's so bizarre. And if you look at maps, you can you can see the old lands, the old names, and then how they've all been changed. They changed all of the maps in the 1400s. With all that being said, now I want to take you back to the days of the Vikings, which this is a topic I don't know a lot about, but the more I research the Vikings, the more I'm just like, these people are so fun. When I research them, I picture their, their ships, their amazing ships and dragons even. Like, I never believed in dragons and now I do. I don't believe in dinosaurs, but I believe there was dragons. And the reason why is because they were on all the Tartaria flags and it shows the King of England stabbing one. And you kind of realize after a while, that's why you don't see Tartaria on the map or talked about. They literally tried to erase this part of our history, but lies will always be uncovered. And here we are 900 years after Christ's crucifixion, learning about these Vikings. And I also want to mention the first navigators of the world were people in boats so they've been navigating the world since the beginning of time the flood happens they probably re-navigate to see what's changed they've made maps they've hand down maps they've had maps everyone knows where they're going and then all of a sudden they try to say that people are discovering land typically when even this leaf guy gets to places there's already people there they just allow them to stay or set up shop but half the time they set up shop they get killed after a couple of weeks and they abandon ship. Another thing I want to mention is back in these days, men usually didn't go by last names like we do now. They were called the last name of their father. So Leaf's family was a family of navigators. He was in that family his whole entire life. His dad was known as a major badass Viking and his name was Eric. And so Leaf was now known as Leaf Eric's son. Apparently, the Vikings have stories about their lives, and they're called sagas. And there's two sagas written about his journeys to Vinland, which I do believe is California, because Vinland meant Wineland, and California to this day is known as Wineland, wine country. My opinion, but it's just what I think, is that he probably discovered California. All right? I, and I could be wrong. So I found this nine minute clip of this really good guy on YouTube and I will link his link below so you can watch more of his videos, but also let me give him credit now. This gentleman's page is on YouTube um, and it's called History Profiles. This is the true story of Leif Erikson um, in his nine minute scenario. So let's go ahead and take a listen to him. One of history's most successful but forgotten explorers was Leif Erikson, the man who discovered and explored the lands of North America, otherwise known to the Vikings as Vinland. So why did our teachers at school and everyone else credit Christopher Columbus for discovering America That's a good when question. the Vikings were there 500 years earlier? First, let's explore further into the life of Leif Erikson. Leif's father was Eric the Red, hence Leif's second name, Ericsson, aka the son of Eric. Eric was a well-known explorer and outlaw who founded two Norse colonies in Greenland, 
his distant relative was also Nadod, who is credited for discovering Iceland. So Leif came from a long line of explorers, and he was born in the year 970, and had two brothers, Thorvard and Thorstein, and one sister named Freydis. A strange fact about Leif's childhood is that he was raised by a slave named Thryka. Thryka was a man captured by Eric the Red in a raid in Germany, and he was put in charge with tutoring Leif and teaching him what it meant to be a man. He taught Leif everything, including reading and writing runes, the Celtic and Russian language, and the ways of the trade. He also told Leif about the sagas of old, taught him about many plants, and of course, he taught him the use of weapons, such as the sword and axe. Whatever free time Leif had as a child, he spent it watching ships come into the harbour, and he would listen to the stories of the men at sea, which he loved. Once he reached adulthood, he married a woman named Thorgunna, and together, the couple would have a son. Leif was described as wise, considerate, and a strong, powerful man with a striking appearance. Leif would soon after set sail for Norway. When he arrived, many people came to greet him, and a messenger came to take him to King Olaf's court. When the messenger told the king who he was, the king said he knew Leif's father well. The king was so impressed with Leif that he invited him to stay in Norway. Leif decided there was no rush to go back home to Greenland, so he accepted the offer. While in Norway, he was treated very well. Being in the personal circle of the king, he lived as he had never lived before. One day, while playing chess with Leif, King Olaf told him of how he also used to worship the gods of old. He told him how a plague had struck Norway and how many people had died. Then he told Leif of how the old gods were fading from this world and how he began to worship Christ. Leif was baptised along with thousands of Norwegians and then the plague miraculously stopped. It turns out Leif wasn't very faithful to the old Viking gods. He was swayed by the preachers spreading the word of this new god. He finally agreed to be baptised and accept this new faith. On his return voyage, he brought along a priest to spread the Christian faith to Greenland on the orders of King Olaf. Historically, the main sources of information about the Viking voyages to Vinland are two Icelandic legends, the saga of Eric the Red and the saga of the Greenlanders. These stories were written down approximately 250 years after the settlement of Greenland and are open to relative interpretation. However, the historic documents that are the two sagas, combined with archaeological evidence where chieftain halls and very large skeletons were found in Vinland, means that the old sagas could be very true and more than sheer fantasy. In one story, Leif was watching boats and he saw an old tattered ship rowing very slowly. This ship belonged to a merchant by the name of Bajani Herjolfsson, who had set sail from Iceland to Greenland to visit Leif's father Eric, but he had been gone for over a year. Leif followed Bajani to a hall where he told a tale of how mist had covered the North Star so he couldn't navigate properly. They sailed for many days and finally spotted land. But it wasn't Greenland they saw, as glaciers didn't cover the coast, but instead trees did. It was late in the summer, and he did not want to winter in this new land, as he knew this could mean his death. He noted this mysterious land was covered with forests, so fearing for the worst, he turned back, and went back to Greenland before the winter. Bajani would sail his ships to Leif, and he would tell him about this marvellous land he had encountered by chance. Leif became obsessed with the idea of a new land, and sailed that way intentionally, 
with a 35-man crew. He would journey into the unknown, as Greenland is where the maps of man ended. Leif eventually found this new land, but was disappointed as the area was just a huge slab of rock. Because of this, he named it Heluland, which can be translated into Slabland. This is now believed to be Baffin Island. Leif then sailed south, knowing there must be something more. Eventually, he would see another land in the distance, and when he went to the shore, he found it had white beaches and trees. Because of this, he named it Markland, which can be translated into Woodland, which is believed today to be the eastern coast of Canada. Leif knew that there were more marvellous lands to be seen, so he sailed southeast for two days and encountered a magnificent mainland. Here, Leif found that the land was so rich that he decided to set up a colony there. The Vikings thought this new land was incredible. There were fish that were as big as a man's leg. There was little frost in the winter and there were amazing forests all over this new land. Leif thought his new god had blessed him indeed. Once they were settled with their houses being fully built, they set up exploration groups. They found the area was full of vines and grapes. Leif then named the land Vinland, which can be translated to mean Wineland. After surviving the winter in Vinland, Leif would sail back to Greenland in the spring with a boatload of grapes and timber. He would also save an Icelandic castaway and his crew. After that, he was nicknamed Leif the Lucky. Leif would never return to Vinland, but other people from Greenland and Iceland did, as they now knew there was land west of Greenland, and the mystery and opportunity of a new land would intrigue them. After returning to Greenland, he converted his mother to the Christian faith, and she would establish the first church in Greenland. The last recorded mention of Leif is in 1019. Nothing is known regarding his death, and his role as a chieftain passed to his son by 1025, so we can only speculate when he died, and what he did in his later years. So why did Christopher Columbus get all the credit in discovering and being the first man in America? Is it because he opened America to Europe, which was the expansionist power in the time, which in turn led to the conquer of the Western Hemisphere? So spoiler alert right now, America was not named after Christopher Columbus. Maybe, maybe BC, like the corporation of Washington, DC, British Columbia, maybe was after good old Columbus. But the guy that came after Christopher Columbus, the guy that actually built one of Christopher Columbus's ships, Amerigo, is who America is named after. And here's why. I think that is because at least Christopher Columbus had enough, uh, what's the morals to not change the maps. And he's like, no, we all know I went to Asia. We all know I was going to the Indies. We all know. So now, but Amerigo for whatever his name was, we'll get, we'll get to him. We'll get to him. But he was more than happy to say and take his globalists with him. So one, we get the new world from Amerigo and the globalist, the globe, and we get the name America. I mean, who wouldn't want two continents named after them if you just do a few things for the crown, right? So before we get to Amerigo, let's talk about Christopher, because Christopher sounds like he was a complete jerk, just like Amerigo. But these are just my opinions. So, you know, many people think they're great. Both of them. I think neither of them discovered anything. And the Indies should give get back their name somehow. I don't know. I don't really. It's unfortunate we have a country named after this guy. Really. Like, the more I learn about America and our past presidents, the more I'm just like, wow, bummer. Do not like our history. It totally sucks. But the only way to change things is to know about it and... 
change it. I'm, we can't go back. I know that. And so many people that I talked to about this stuff is like, well, we can't go back. I'm not trying to go back. I'm just trying to learn what happened back then. So history doesn't repeat itself now. The first thing you will see when you look up Mr. Christopher C is on Wikipedia, that page that's kind of full of nonsense, but also gives you lots of leads to things, has a picture of him looking like a Freemason, one, and two, it gives the headline. It says, the first governor of the Indies. Hmm. <laughs> oh, it's so funny how stupid people have become. I can't believe I didn't realize we the Indians were called Indians because they were from India. Because this used to be the Indies. I just, now I laugh, but because it's just so funny and how stupid we all are that we don't really realize this. I don't even know if half the Native Americans realize this, right? Like, okay. Anyway, so he was the first governor of the Indies and he was in office from 1492 to 1499. Now, how exactly does somebody get in office of the first governor of the Indies? Well, what Christopher did is he got the queen, her name was Isabella, you might have heard of her, to finance this little trip that he wanted to go on. He gets the three ships that you might have heard about in school because they love talking about them. Santa Maria, I think one of them was the Pinta. I should know this, but I've been out of school a long time. And I don't feel like looking that up right now. Anyways, so they give him these ships, I believe there's three, and he sails across the ocean blue in 1492 to go to somewhere that's been discovered 400 years before he's been there. So I guarantee you, He's heard stories and there's maps showing him right where he needs to go. Okay. So he gets there and he gets to what they call Hispaniola, uh, named after Spain, but it's modern day Haiti, which has a whole history to that, doesn't it? So he sets up his flag there. He talks to the Islanders that are living there that the queen of Spain has arrived and she's going to take good care of y'all. And you all just let us control the situation at hand that you've had under control all these years. Here's probably a couple things we can throw your way. Here's the, your food stamps. Hey, your, here's your food stamps, local islanders. And they're like, okay, cool. Well, then Christopher starts making them slaves and he's awful. And finally, the word gets back to the queen that he sucks and she calls him back home. But guess who they leave in charge? Before we talk about who took over after Christopher, because that part's good too, we've got to talk about why they even decided to go there and seek this new passageway. So basically, for years and years and years, everybody used the same passageway, and they called it the Silk Road. And it took you to parts of India and East Asia, parts of China, parts of South Asia. Remember, Asia was a big continent, and India was in Asia, okay? including America. America was part of Asia. So which lots of things were traded there. So everything's all good. And then this Christian thing comes about and people start learning about Christian. And a lot of these people were like, no, we don't like you or the Christians. So the Ottoman empire in 1453 closed the Silk Road to Christian traders and Christopher Columbus was quote unquote a Christian. Now here's where religion gets a little ugh, because you don't, God and his disciples, Jesus and his disciples never told anybody to go kill anybody. They actually said, if they treat you like crap, you should just dust that dust right off your feet and walk away and go find someone that wants to listen. So to go and be like, become our religion. Let us live here. We'll kill you. Like, they went about this completely the wrong way. And I blame Rome and the Roman Empire. And to this day, the Roman Catholic Church and all that just are a bunch of nasty snake pedophiles. And if you don't know that yet, I'm sorry. If you're Catholic, it's nothing against you. It's against the religion because they fund this crap that's gone on for years and years and years. That needs to stop. And it will. Because again, truth will be told and everybody will find out. So after about 20 years of not being able to go this route... People start proposing to kings and queens, Portugal being one of them, that they can get to where they need to go. They'll just go a different way. So finally, about 1480, Columbus and his brother proposed a plan to reach the East Indies by sailing west. On May 1st, 1486, Columbus got permission 
to do his little deal. And Queen Isabella basically made sure everybody got in line and fed him and kept things going. So he's on his way. He's going to Asia. Everybody knows it. And he's he's funded, fully funded. On October 12th, 1492, Christopher wrote in his little journal, I saw some who had marks of wounds on their bodies and I made signs to them asking what they were and they showed me how people from their islands nearby came there and tried to take them and how they defended themselves. And I believed and I believe that they come here from Tejera Firma and to take them captive. They should be good and intellect servants, for I see that they say very quickly everything that is said to them, and I believe they would become Christians very easily, for it seemed to me, so servants and Christians in the same sentence, huh? For it seems to me that they had no religion. Our Lord pleasing at the time of my departure, I will take six of them from here to your highness in order that they may learn to speak. Columbus called the inhabitants of the lands that he visited Los Indos, Spanish for Indians. He initially encountered the Lucren, I'm going to smear these names, so T-A-I-N-O, and the A-R-A-W-A-K peoples. So Columbus started off as, you know, the great Christian he was going to spread Christianity and just noted some gold earrings in their ears and took some of them prisoner and made them guide him around for the source of that gold. So yeah, I don't think Columbus had the right heart when he was traveling the ocean blue to convert people to Christianity. Unlike Leif, where I actually think he was a good dude the first guy we talked about. So he didn't think he needed to create a fortified outpost. And he wrote, the people here are simple and warlike matters. I could conquer the whole of them with 50 men and govern them as I pleased, which is exactly what he did later on. According to Mr. Columbus, he said that the Tanos, I want to, that's how I'm going to pronounce it, T-A-I-N-O-S, told Columbus that another indigenous tribe, the Caribs, they were cannibals and they made frequent raids on them and they wanted to capture their women and this happened all the time. But some say that Columbus just said that to justify taking their women as slaves. Hmm. One to think about. So then after that, uh, he went to Cuba on October 28th. At this point, one of the ships, because there were several of them and they weren't all navigated by Columbus, parted ways and they went to go explore other places they thought would have gold and Columbus that's when he ended up at Hispaniola he landed there on December 6th but by December 25th Christmas 1492 he had to abandon his Santa Maria ship because he wrecked it and that was used as a cannon fire to impress the native people Columbus was received by the native and I'm going to spell this C-A-C-I-Q-U-E uh, and this is another word, G-U-A-C-A-N-A-G-A-R-I, who gave him permission to leave some of his men behind. Columbus left 35 men, including an interpreter whose last name was Taurus, and founded the settlement of La Nevada in the present day Haiti. Columbus took more natives prisoners and continued his exploration. I'm surprised they didn't kill the people they left behind. Like, how do you take all these? Maybe he didn't tell them, hey, you're going to be prisoner. Maybe they just said, hey, you want to come with me? And then they became prisoner. I don't know. Anyways, he kept sailing along the north coast of Hispaniola with a single ship until he encountered the Pinzon and the Pinta on January 6th. So he's on some little ship and then he sees the two other big ships because he sunk his. So on January 13th, 1493, Columbus made his last stop of his voyage in the what they now call Americas on the Bay of Rincon. That's R-I-N-C-O-N. And that's the northeast of Haiti. There he encountered the Kigwas, C-I-G-U-A-Y-O-S, the only natives who offered violent resistance during this voyage, which they all should have because that would be a whole different history, wouldn't it? So anyways, they refused to trade with him and, and Columbus just, he didn't like that. So he stabbed one of them in the butt and another wounded with an arrow in his chest because of these events. Good old Columbus named it the Bay of Arrows. He's such a jerk. So then he headed for Spain on the Nina, but the storm separated him from the Pinta and forced the Nina to stop on an island of Santa Maria in the Erzos. Half of his crew went ashore to stay, say prayers of Thanksgiving. Oh, here's Thanksgiving in a chapel for having survived the storm. But while praying, they were imprisoned by the governor of the island um, on suspicion of being pirates. 
After a two-day standoff, the prisoners were released and Columbus again set sail for Spain. Not quite the Thanksgiving we learned about, is it? Another storm forced Columbus into a port at Lipston. From there, he went to King John II of Portugal, who told Columbus that he believed the voyage to be a violation of the 1479 treaty that they had with some, spelt like this, A-L-C-A-V-O-A-L-C-A-C-O-V-A-S. After spending more than a week in Portugal, Columbus set sail for Spain, and he returned on March 15, 1493, and he was given a hero's welcome and soon afterward received by Isabella and Fernandin in Barcelona. After this voyage, it went public, it went social media as social media could get for the 1400s, and everybody knew that he reached Asia. And they were all happy that they found this new route. And guess what? The funding begun for new voyages, for new people to head on down. But meanwhile, in Haiti, Columbus's crew is running the show. Since everybody knew, you know, how to get there, Columbus decided to go back. So he goes back on September of 1493. He sailed with 17 ships to go make permanent colonies in these Indy Asias. So he sailed with 1,500 men, and he gets there, and he finds the the natives had basically destroyed everything. And he's like, oh, well, let me go ahead and start taking over again. So he goes ahead, and he starts just trying to rule with this iron thumb. And he starts rounding up all the people he can, and um, some people rebelled. There was a slave raid. It was just it's getting crazy over there, right? So by June of 1495, the Spanish crown sent ships and supplies to Hispaniola. And then by October 1499, so just a few years have gone by, Columbus is like, I need help. So he sends help back to Spain and he's asking them to send a royal commissioner to help him govern. But by this time, everyone knows he's incompetent, he's a jerk, and there's some questions arising about him. So instead of doing that, they said, how about you come back real quick? So they sent a guy to go over there and investigate. His last name is Bobadella. I'm not going to even bother spelling it. So anyways, he comes over and immediately Columbus is gone and he's met with complaints about Columbus and Columbus's three brothers. So he just moves into Columbus's house, seized his property, took all the uh, dispositions from the admiral's enemies and declared himself governor. So, you know, that's easy. So now he's the governor. He reported to Spain that Columbus once punished a man found guilty of stealing corn, probably because he was starving, by having his ears and nose cut off and then selling him to slavery. He claimed that Columbus regular, regularly used torture and mutilation to govern Hispaniola. His testimony recorded in the report stated that Columbus congratulated his brother Bartholomew on defending the family when the later ordered a woman paraded naked through the streets and then had her tongue cut because she had spoken ill of the admiral and his brothers. So these guys are real just gentlemen, aren't they? The document also describes how Columbus put down native unrest and revolt. He first ordered the brutal suppression of the uprising in which many natives were killed and then paraded their dismembered bodies through the streets in an attempt to discourage further rebellion. By early October 1500, Columbus and his son Diego turned themselves in to this new governor. They were put in chains, sent back to Spain. They were in jail for six weeks, and the king let them out, said, come to the palace, let's go talk. They talk. They basically are restored everything. And not only that, they agree (laughs) to pay for another trip to the West Indies. Why not, right? Um, Long story short, with this fourth trip funded by Spain, he ends up uh, on Jamaica stranded. So, good. He, however, did try to go to Haiti, and they were like, nope, bro, you ain't allowed here. Keep on trucking. He's like, but there's a hurricane. And they said, I don't care. Get in your ship and get out of here. That's what happens. Maybe you shouldn't go back to places you treat people like crap. Huh, Chris? I wonder what like the afterlife is for some of these people for six months chris and 230 of his bros are stranded on jamaica begging the natives to keep them alive and because the natives were compassionate enough somehow they stayed alive and 
by June 28, 1504, Spain came and saved Chris once and for all. Now, here's where Diego and the lawsuits begin. So, Christopher, he is known as the Admiral of the Indies by now. Yeah, the Indies. And upon Christopher's death in 1506, his son was his successor. So he got to be the new Admiral of the Indies, even though he's not the governor. He's the Admiral. So in 1508, King Fernand, Fernand, I don't know his name, but Fernand, somebody does out there. F-E-R-D-I-N-A-N-D. And in his, in his capacity, he said, well, you know what, we'll just let you be the additional office of governor of the Indies. And this is just for the time I'm in office. And Diego did not want any part of that. He said, uh, no, that needs to be forever. So he initiated a lawsuit against the crown. And this lawsuit started in 1511. Well, actually, the verdict was given in 1511. So somewhere along 1508 and 1511, they're in court. And the judge recognizes for the line of Columbus that he should have forever the right to the 10th benefits obtained from the Indies that we now know as America. So the crown received, among other things, the right to name judges and neither party was happy. So they went ahead and appealed it. So long story short, they're in court for years, years from 1511 to finally 1536. They have submitted uh, this and this is by the Council of the Indies that's now established. Now, if you're like, well, what's the Council of the Indies? I was never taught that in school. That's a good question. So a little history on this uh, Council of the Indies. Queen Isabella, she extensively granted authority to Christopher Columbus, but then she withdrew that authority for reasons we know why now. And she established a direct royal control, putting matters of the Indies in the hands of her chaplain, Juan something, for Fornesca. In 1493. So the Catholic monarchs, Isabella and her husband, designated this guy to study the problems related to colonization process arising from what was seen as tyrannical behavior by Christopher Columbus and his misgovernment of the natives. So they wanted to do better, which is nice. So he became a minister for the Indies and laid the foundation for the creation of colonial bureaucracy he presided over the committee or council and they called this the council of the castle c-a-s-t-i-l-e or some say castilla and they formed the uh this council of the indies it had about eight counselors okay so if we don't know america used to be called india by now don't believe me just go research some history Christopher Columbus's son wasn't happy that he wasn't in charge of the Indies anymore. He's in a lawsuit forever. They finally come to this. They remove the titles of Victoria and Governor and General of the Indies. That's why we probably never learned about it in school. They established a little program for Columbus's heirs. It consisted mainly of the island of Jamaica. And they basically gave him everywhere his dad went on his final voyage. So they gave him Costa Rica, Panama. Uh, the Rio Berlin, um, in, but they they honestly said they never recognized that they gave that to him. But according to this lawsuit, they did. So they gave them back some rights in Hispaniola, which is modern day Haiti, and then they ordered them to get money annually to the heirs of Columbus. So ain't that fun. These lawsuits are very famous and they are called the Colombian lawsuits. You'd think we would have learned about those in school, but apparently the Rothschilds don't teach you anything in school that you really need to learn. So if your child is in modern day American school, they're learning nothing but lies and they're just a babysitter for your kids and not a very good one. I'd pull them out and send them to daycare <laughs> at this point. They're better off being at home if they're old enough or if they're young enough, don't let them be brainwashed. I'm not kidding. American school is garbage. Taught nothing but lies. I am in my 40s finally learning the truth about Christopher C. And that America was named after this guy we're about to talk about that came after him. So what? And you know what's funny? When you look up Amerigo and I always want to call him Versace or it's like Versapi or something um, I, I think Versace just sticks in my head because of the fashion dude. But anyways, there's hardly any videos about this dude. 
but Christopher Columbus, they talk about him all the time. And then they try to say, oh, poor Chris. He didn't know where he's going. He thought he was going to Asia. <laughs> we don't know why they called the Indians Indians. How weird. It's so funny. Like, imagine if we are all taught the truth, how free we'd actually be because we would be slaves to these same people that created slavery to begin with. It has nothing to do with color, folks. So it has everything to do with control. Well, with that, that gives us a good segue to not only end this, but talk about Mr. America and his new world order and the globalist agenda he brought with it. So let's get into him. As I said, history doesn't talk about him in America, which is funny because our country's named after the guy. I have this this feeling that they, one, wanted him to think, wanted us as as the brainwashed civilization we've become to believe that this continent was just, you know, people were so dumb and this guy was so smart and he found this new continent and, you know, it was called America the whole time or something. I don't know, but it's named after this last name His is Vespucci, V-E-S-P-U-C-C-I. And these people were high up in the Italian families. They, they were with the who's who's of the who's what's like they they were what we call modern day elites, right? They had friends in high places. So as all history goes with these Masons with their hands on their chest, um, I'll seem to not have a clarity until one date. So his namesake and reputation starts in his voyage of 1501 to 1502. And this is when him himself and scholars as well became convinced that he discovered this quote unquote new world and that it was not part of Asia. And I believe Christopher Columbus was not on board with this little program. So in 1507, th this, remember this guy's name, his name's Martin, Martin Wald C. Miller. He reprinted the maps and he basically made a pamphlet of his own. And he got this pamphlet produced. And they not only produced it once or twice, they produced it a few times. And guess what it had on it? The name America. Yep. And guess that one stuck. Now, I find this very interesting. In the biblical days, most cities, towns, now we know estates were named after women because the men named them after their wives. So listen to this little statement. Now, this statement wasn't done by Martin, Martin himself. It was done by his partner. So Martin had a partner, and his last name was Ringman, and his first name was Matthias. And they were the first credited with the recorded usage of America on a portion of the quote-unquote New World. And they call this the New World in honor of Amerigo Vespucci. Martin, good old Martin, he goes on to make the first map of South America as a continent separate from Asia, first produce the printed globe, first to create a printed wall map of Europe, and set of his maps printed as an appendix to the 1513 edition of the original maps. And they called the original maps P-T-O-L-E-M-Y. So his geography was known throughout the world to be a correct until America. So by 1506, we got this book, and it's called The Introduction to Cosmography. And this is the first time the brainwashing begins. And it has a world map accompanied, and it has an introduction written by Ringman that included a Latin translation of some letter called Sauderni Letter. And the preface of the letter, Rigman, the other guy, wrote, I see no reason why anyone could properly, properly disapprove of the name derived from that of Amerigo, the discoverer, a man of satious genius. A suitable form would be Amergi, a meaning land of Amerigo or America, since Europe and Asia have received women names. So there you have it, folks. How we got the name America how we got the term New World Order, and how we got our first globalist. And I believe since that time, they have done everything they could to make people believe we don't. They just basically took the Bible out of. I used to think America was founded on the Bible, but now I'm starting to think a little different. Yes, maybe they did teach it in schools, but how much of it did they really teach? Was it more like a religion that we know as modern day church, right? Or was it the actual truth and the truth that will set us free? I don't think so. Because that's not what they brought to America and that's not how they treated the natives and that's not at all what happened. 
what happened was they told all the natives they were practicing witchcraft and moved them onto little tiny territories, and that's where they remain, what they call reservations to this day. And they took over the government. They took over everything, and they made every single one of us slaves. If you pay taxes, you're a slave to the system. If you work because we have to, guess what we pay? Income tax for making money. And guess what happens? That income money we make that we're taxed on, they get to take and do whatever the hell they want with. Go buy stocks, go do the thing and run the system so we can all continue to be slaves, pay our taxes until we die. Oh, but maybe at 60, we can retire and go explore like the Vikings did every day since their youth. Things need to change. People need to wake up. And it starts with understanding that America wasn't founded on the principles we think it was. That doesn't mean I don't love my country. I do. I love my country because I was born and raised here and I, there's many great things about it, but there's many, many things that need to change. And it starts with the awakening of how this country was even freaking founded or how we even called the name. And to the fact that there's still people this day, my father's age, that thinks Christopher Columbus really discovered America and that the Indians just got called Indians for no good reason. It's so stupid, guys. And then they got programmed with the, with the cowboys and Indians. America, America, God shed your grace on thee. All right, I'm playing you a little clip about this Amerigo guy. Like I said, guys, it's so weird. You would think the guy who this country, supposedly the greatest country ever, was named after, would have a little more information about him than a three-minute clip. But that's about all. You can find more about Leif Anderson the Viking than you can about Amerigo. Riddle me that one. But here's what I found. It's from the History Channel. It's three minutes. Here we go. All right, History Channel's version of Amerigo. While Christopher Columbus discovered America, he didn't lend it his name. That honor falls to the Italian navigator Amerigo Vespucci. Amerigo Vespucci was one of the first to realize that North and South America were nowhere near Asia, were mm -hmm. separate continents. Columbus, on the other hand, never ceased to believe that his discoveries were part of Asia. Born in Florence, Italy in 1451, Amerigo Vespucci held a series of jobs, merchant, steward, banker, and ultimately operated a ship outfitting business in Sevilla, Spain, before becoming an explorer in his 40s. He apparently met Columbus and through conversation with him, sparked his interest in going to the Indies, which is what the Spaniards called the Americas. In 1497, Vespucci sailed with a fleet of Spanish ships in search of a western passage to the Indies and landed in Central America. He is believed to have sailed as far north as the Gulf of St. Lawrence before returning to Spain. On May 16, 1499, Vespucci sailed from Cadiz to the New World and explored along the coast of Brazil, and in the course of that voyage, discovered the Amazon River. Vespucci's third voyage embarked in 1501, this time in the service of Portuguese King Manuel I. Passing through the Cape Verde Islands, Vespucci explored the coasts of Brazil and Argentina, where he discovered present-day Rio de Janeiro and studied the Native Americans. When Amerigo Vespucci returned from his third voyage, he asserted that the lands that he had explored were not, as Columbus had insisted, part of Asia, but were instead part of the New World. Vespucci called it a new fourth part of the world alongside uh, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Records are mixed as to whether Vespucci sailed on one or three additional expeditions to the New World. What is known is that he returned to live in Spain, and in 1508 was awarded the prestigious office of Pilot Major. On February 22, 1512, Amerigo Vespucci died of malaria in Sevilla, Spain. The New World received the name America, a feminized version of Amerigo Vespucci, because Vespucci was a good propagandist. Amerigo's writings about the New World were much more known than anything Columbus had written. A German cartographer, Martin Waldseemuller, produced a world map in 1517. On this world map, he claimed that Amerigo Vespucci had actually been the first person to make landfall on what we now know as America or South America. It's been named America ever since. 
And unfortunately, most of us Americans didn't even know that. But if you listen to this podcast tonight, now you do. Well, guys, may God bless you. I think from the next few podcasts, I'm really going to talk about these different natives that lived in America because I'm curious about them, starting with the ones here in New Mexico, which they called uh, the Plains Indians. They have many names, the Comanche Indians, the... um, Gosh, I can't think of them all just because I'm trying trying to remember and I'm thinking of Idaho, Waihee Indians in Idaho, Ness Pierce Indians. So I grew up my entire life knowing, I mean, I lived off the names of Indians, tribes, <laughs> the Ness Pierce Street and things like that. It's just crazy to me. And they never taught me in school who these people were and what they did to their children and what they did to them. It's absolutely insane. And then they taught us all to sit there and pledge this allegiance to this uh, truth we didn't know anything about, which is so sad to think about to this day. Because, I, you know, I, I was in the middle of the brainwashing. I was born in, in the 70s and was full-on brainwashed as long, along with my parents. And unfortunately, I'm easier to get out of the brainwashing than the generations before and after me because my parents watched the moon supposedly landing and watched, you know, all these lies on TV and they were fully indoctrinated. They were told their whole lives we spin around, you know, there was no questioning that by the 1900s. By the 1900s, everybody knew if you went against it, you're going to get locked up. You're going to don't talk. You know what I mean? (laughs) Keep your mouth shut. And now people are like, I'm not keeping my mouth shut. And they've tried to shut many of us down for it. But we're not, not today, Satan, not today. Thank you, Lord, for everybody listening. Thank you for this podcast. I just pray, Lord, that you just continue to wake people up, continue to guide this podcast, continue to just show me what to speak about and teach real truth and real history that's not taught in schools. I thank you so much for this platform. In Jesus' name, may you all be blessed and know that God is real and he's not the God of religion. He is the God of love. He's the God of mercy and most important, the God of truth. He has ears to hear you, eyes to see you, and he can answer your prayers.